Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. My guest this week on Last Drinks podcast is Sarah Connolly, a business owner, wifey, mum of two, and a former grey area drinker. Before discovering how to free herself from the grip of alcohol, Sarah could not have imagined not drinking. Sarah is a certified master grey area drinking coach and counsellor now, but it was a terrifying decision three years ago that put her on the fulfilling and honest path that she walks today. Please enjoy Last Drinks with Sarah Connolly. Sarah, tell me about your last drink. Okay, so I had booked myself in to do two weeks in an inpatient rehab program. And I was so, so determined that it was going to crack this habit once and for all. But I was still quite attached to my wine <laughs> at the time. So before I went in, I went to the bottle shop and I bought my favourite bottle of white wine. And I took it home and I drank the entire bottle knowing in my mind, that it was going to be the last time that I ever drank again, or at least hoping that that was the case. Um, and I remember it really clearly because I thought this is a really strange way to start giving up. <laughs> but it was like, it was like my, my last hurrah, if you like. And I took this big, this bottle of wine and I drank the whole thing. and. That was the last drink I ever had. It was Shaw and Smith. <laughs> it was, of course, of course you remember that. <laughs> this is so interesting. The more I'm talking to people about how they come to sobriety and about their last drink, which really is the start of their new life in sobriety, mm. there's no one way that people come to this moment in their life. And this story, again, is something that I don't really think I've unpacked with anyone yet on this podcast And because you were so calculated in it. Some people yeah. have their last drink and then wake up and go, oh, my God, that was my last drink. We're changing direction now. But for you, and I'm curious to know, what led up to you checking yourself into a program, but also you knew potentially that that program was going to, as you say, fix the problem. So you were like, well, we'll just throw it all at the wall while mm -hmm. we still can. Because, And that's just so interesting how our brains work. Like that was what you needed to do in order to go, okay, now I'm done. 
Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting lead up to that day. What had happened was in the previous, I guess, nine months, I'd gone through a lot with, uh, I'd lost my mum uh, a few years prior. And I was drinking way more than was healthy, but I still considered myself what a, quote, normal drinker because I wasn't drinking any more or less than any of my friends. Um, but in the nine months prior to me quitting, my dad got really, really sick and got diagnosed with uh, a terminal cancer. And that kind of tipped me over the edge. And in the lead up to when he passed, I traveled back to the UK three times and in three months. And I guess anyone that's done that journey knows how grueling it can be, <laughs> but also how incredibly generous flight attendants are when it comes to alcohol. <laughs> so Red I was. Wine and cheese was my long haul uh, survival strategy. I would like be sit down and be like champagne champagne and um I loved traveling you know especially if you're in the front end of the plane um it's very it's quite nice (laughs) and um you know it's it's free flowing booze and in that three months everything went to um to hell basically like I was on my own at home I'd left my kids and my husband here in the in Australia and so I had no accountability I had no routine I had grief I had my dad who was really really unwell and that kind of uncertainty as to when he was going to pass because I actually missed my mum's passing Um, I was in Dubai on the way home when she died and I had that in my head and I really wanted to make sure I was there for my dad and I remember thinking, and it's interesting that you talk about how our minds work, because I remember thinking that once my dad had passed, I was going to quit drinking. But until then, I was going to go large because I I literally wasn't coping. I wasn't coping with with my dad's uh, uh, being so sick. I wasn't coping with the, the travel and everything else. But I consciously made that decision and I remember I would sort of like watch myself drinking. You know, when you kind of watch yourself doing something and you think, what the hell am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah, but you keep doing it anyway. Um, And then my dad passed and I was sitting with him in his last moments and I kind of decided 100% that enough was enough. Um, Drinking was keeping me small. It was making me depressed and anxious. It was stopping me from being the mum I wanted to be and it was really hindering, I I believe, my potential as a human being. And, you know, when you see somebody that you love pass, you realise how short life is and how precious it is and that actually it is going to (laughs) end one day (laughs) and that, you know, it really kind of hit home. So when I got back to Australia, I went to see my GP I told her that I had a drinking problem for me and she actually said there's this two-week program and I am a bit of an all-or-nothing kind of person and so I thought this could be good for me even just to have some time away to be honest some time out from being a mum and everything else. I was really terrified because I didn't know what to expect. Um, I went in and I was like searched and it was really intense 
but I didn't have detox uh, symptoms. I wasn't that heavy a drinker to be really sick when I stopped drinking, which some people are. And I did two weeks and I saw a lot of people in there who were in their fourth or fifth time. I saw people in there who were serious, seriously, um, you know, in that really in the throes of addiction. And it was enough, along with the work that I did in there, to, to, to end it for me. The tricky thing with alcohol that I found in what, and I believe you use the, the term like grey area drinking, which is, I think that really resonates with a lot of people where they're like, well, I'm not in the throes of addiction, but I'm also not not drinking. And so what does that mean? Like, where does that place me on the scale? So this gray area drinking is so sneaky. I didn't think that I had an issue because I was just doing what everyone else was doing. Yeah. But it wasn't working for me. And so you, I was doing the behavior. I was like, well, we're all at the pub, you know, and I'm like, well, at least I'm not getting in my car and driving home drunk. Like that would be irresponsible. And we have all of these little markers of what makes it acceptable and what makes it okay and what keeps us in that space. And it's not until you completely remove yourself from alcohol completely, whether it's a two-week inpatient program, one month off, or just a weekend at home with no booze, that you then start to go, oh, well, this isn't working for me. And, And even though I function okay, Maybe I'm not functioning at my best, even though I'm not being a negligent parent. I'm not showing up for my kids the way that I want to show up for my kids because this hangover is always there. And I find it really interesting was that, and I just recently lost my dad. So I, Mm, I completely get how that just rocks dads and daughters, man. It's complex. Yeah, (laughs) like totally. Dads and daughters are complicated. (laughs) But I get how even though my dad and I had this like intensely, beautifully complex relationship, I was there with him, you know, to the end of his life. So for you, what was it about your dad passing away that was going to be your catalyst? My dad was a a heavy drinker for most of his life and towards the end with all the medication that he was on he couldn't drink but he still tried (laughs) um (laughs) bless him (laughs) um but he was an incredibly intelligent man who didn't live out his full potential and and I guess in the last few weeks that I spent with him he expressed a lot of regret and there was this sort of sense that He hadn't lived his life as fully as perhaps he would have liked. And that really hit me hard because I knew I was doing the same thing. And I knew deep down that there were things I wanted to do in life that I was terrified of. Um, I knew that I could be better as a parent, as as a wife, as a friend. I knew that I had so much more in me and I'd been holding myself back with this substance. You know, every time I would set a goal or I had something I wanted to do, it just seemed to get constantly put off um, because I'd have a big weekend and then I'd wake up on the Monday and be like, oh, next week. So 
although I, I guess I had achieved a lot in my life, despite <laughs> the alcohol, um, I knew that there was so much more. And I didn't want to lie on my deathbed with my sons there saying, I wish I'd been better. That was and it. And in a way, oh, God, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> well, it's recent. It's recent for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. It is. It's so raw. But you know what? Um, like in a way, your dad's left a beautiful legacy in you because mm-hmm. you looked at the way he went, and you went, "I don't want to do that." And and instead of sitting in the trauma of that, of like why didn't my dad make better choices and why didn't he show up for me? You've you've taken the power back and gone, I'm changing it then. So I'm going to rewrite my story. I'm going to change the family tree. And that's his legacy. And, and so that is not a waste. You know, I think when I hear stories about people when they do get to the end of their life, and my dad did it too, where – there were all these things that he he was sort of like, oh, I wish I had of and, oh, I should have this and, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to harness this energy here and make sure I don't do this to my kids and I don't sit here with a ton of regrets and apologies at the end of it all. And I feel like my dad's life was cut off short, but it's still, you don't know how long you've got. And so... Like just such, and I think that's why I'm so emotional because I'm like, even though there's a bit of a tragedy here, Sarah, there's also this amazing legacy that was born out of that relationship and, and his relationship with alcohol and what you saw play out. It makes so much sense when you've seen somebody crumble firsthand at, at mm-hmm. you know, how just horrifying this drug is and how it can just get a hold of someone and not let up so I'm happy for all of the feelings to come out because I'm feeling (laughs) all of my feelings and I'm still grieving and I'm grieving sober I've been sober for seven and a half years but this really is a season for me that um I haven't thought about drinking But it has been very hard to process and to sit with all of the feelings that come up when when a parent dies and you're faced with the, you know, the childhood trauma that you haven't really dealt with. So I get it on on such a huge level. Thank you so much for saying what you just said. That means a great deal to me. So I really appreciate it. Um, And I know my dad would too. (laughs) So thank you. You mentioned before that you were terrified of giving up drinking before you gave up drinking. Is there a specific thing for you that scared you the most? Um, the the terror was I didn't know who I was without alcohol. Um, I didn't really know myself that well. Um, and I can say that retrospectively, but also at the time, I was really afraid of so many things. I was afraid of how it would affect the relationship with my husband and I because we would always drink together. Um, I was afraid of how it would affect my friendships because all my friends were drinkers. Um, And also, Maz, I think I know I was afraid of 
not having an excuse to be my best self. I was actually afraid of being successful. Um, and I think that was a really big part of it too, because I'd always known alcohol to be my Achilles heel. And once I took that away, it was like, right, now you've got to step up. Now you've, you've, you don't have the excuse of hungover or anxious or whatever. Um, you have to take action. So there was a f so many fears, but probably that one was probably the biggest. And I think it's interesting that we're often more afraid of success than we are of failure sometimes. Yes. Oh, this is like my life story. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's a beautiful thing and, and sobriety gives you so much clarity that then you can look back and go, oh, my God. And one of the things, like one of the patterns I noticed in my life is that I wasn't afraid of failing. I was good at failing. I'm like, I'll throw it against the wall, see what sticks. If I fail, I'll get up again. It's a stepping stone to success. Like I had all of my catchphrases down for a good fail. I was <laughs> terrified of succeeding. And mm. when I started succeeding in my career, I started drinking to cope with the imposter syndrome that came with, you're actually talented, you're actually good, you should probably believe the hype, you know, and that was yeah. more crippling for me than the fails. I'm like, get me back to failing because I'm good at failing. <laughs> it's so weird. Isn't it? It's so weird. Um, and I think that, you know, as you like you say, as you start to gather evidence that you're not as bad as perhaps you think you are, um, then it comes to, well, I've got to keep this up. You know, I've, now I've got to keep going. I've got to keep it up. And that's another part of, of growing, I guess, and succeeding. How did it affect your relationship? Because it's huge. When you've got a life partner, it's great. But when you've got an unhealthy habit together... And then one person decides to, you know, put down some new boundaries that can, you don't know which way that's going to go. So how, how did you guys navigate that in a marriage? Well, again, a really good question. Um, I was very determined to put myself first for the time, especially early days, because it was something that I wanted for me first and foremost um, and so what I actually did was I wrote my husband a letter um, and I wrote him a letter explaining everything. It was quite a long letter. <laughs> um, He's like, did you write a novel in her spare time? <laughs> I think he's still reading it. <laughs> But um, I wrote a letter and I remember clearly one part of the letter saying, you know, this change can make or break us. And it's going to be hard because you're going to see a different side of me and we're going to have um, different challenges to the ones that we have experienced um, in the past. Um, but I did stress in this letter that this was my number one uh, thing for, the, for that point in time, that it would come first above all and that he could choose to come with me on that journey or not. But if he chose not to, then that was going to cause issues. And, it, you know, that probably sounds quite extreme. It wasn't that harsh. But I knew deeply that, the, that in order for my relationship to um, survive, I had to be honest and I had to put my sobriety first. 
and um, I'm very lucky that he, he, I remember he sent me an email or something, it was an email or a text just saying, I'm in, and it was so beautiful. Um, and we've, we've obviously had our ups and downs like any marriage, but he still drinks, but he has never had the issue that I did. He can have a glass of red wine and leave half of it. Um, he's just, it's just not in his um, biochemical makeup to over drink. Whereas I have a very different makeup and different approach, um, different response to alcohol. So I think the only thing that we missed for a while was we'd sit down sometimes of a night and have a glass of wine. But I, at the time I was using alcohol free wine and I'd have a glass of that and he'd have his real wine and we still had those moments. So so I quit drinking sort of six months into a new relationship and we're now married and we have a baby and it worked out. Um, but <laughs> the first six months of that relationship was very alcohol fueled because we were in the honeymoon phase and we were doing long distance and it was just like wild. And I remember making the decision that I was going to stop drinking and I called Glenn and he was living in Sydney and I was living in Melbourne and I was like, hi. So here's a bit of a bombshell, but I think I'm an alcoholic and I really <laughs> need to go and get some help. So I know we've only been dating for a few months, but like, are you kind of okay with this? <laughs> he was, he was wow. amazing. He was like, oh, he's like, whoa. He's like, I would have had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really good at hiding it. And him and my mum were the two people that I told that I was like, I've, I have a problem. I'm doing, I'm going to do something about it. And it's going to be a couple of incremental stages. And then on the 1st of January, 2015, I'm going to not drink for a whole month and see how I go. Um, and I haven't had a drink since, but telling him was so scary. Cause I was like, I think I'm falling in love with this person. And I have like a secret person that he doesn't know about yet. And so I have to put it all on the table. And if he rejects me over this, this is going to suck. But that was worth the risk in a way because I was like, I can't be in relationship with this guy and keep behaving this way like because this is just going to be just insane. This is not going to end well for anyone. So I was like, I'm just going to have to be honest. And if he walks away, then I have to accept that because I can't control his response. I can only control me and my behavior and I need to get it in check. So I, I should have written him a letter. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think your approach was, was fabulous. It was very brave. (laughs) Well, I think because it was, I, it was like this revelation. I was like, Oh my God, I've got a drinking problem and I need, I want to sort it out and I need to sort it out. And, and I, I'm, I was literally falling in love with this guy and I'm like, I've just, I have to just, I just have to freaking rip that bandaid off and tell him. If I can't tell him and he's going to be my life person, then I'm stuffed. Like I, you know, I can't tell anyone. Yeah. So it was, it's so scary, but, and this is for anyone listening that finds themselves in this predicament, which is very common. You get into a relationship, you have a you know, like you said, your biochemical makeup is different to your husband's. So you can't moderate and he can. So how do you, you know, figure that out? But 
you have to be honest with yourself and you have to put your sobriety first. And if that person comes along for the ride, that's awesome. And if they don't, you can't control it. And that's just one of those things in life where we have to stop trying to control the things we can't control, which is other people. And that's why I think it's so important to hear how you navigated that, how your husband responded. And what a great response. I'm in. That would have been the most relieving text message for you to receive, surely. Yeah, it was it was so wonderful. Um, but I, I also think at the same time, um, like you say, I, I, I tried not to be too attached to it because I couldn't control his response. But ultimately, you know, I wouldn't have married a man that said any different, I don't think. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to be surrounded by people that support you and love you um, and that understand that for a time you're going to need to be a little bit self-centred because it is a recovery process. And those, you know, if you're not surrounded by people who support you, it makes it so much harder. But I do think you're, what you demonstrated with Glenn, that honesty, you know, that brutal honesty really does set you free. Because once it's out there, there's no going back. And you're telling someone that you love who you really are. Um, and they need to know it all, the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly. Um, so, yeah, that was very brave. And it paid off. This is my little life hack for anyone who is on the receiving end of somebody telling them that they're going to be sober. The person talking to you is about to become the best version of themselves. So stick around for the journey because when and you don't know it when you take your last drink you don't understand how amazing your life is going to get because you've never put yourself in that position before but 10 out of 10 times the conversations that I have about sobriety is once people go on that journey it is like these compounded benefits year on year and you become better healthier you become more productive you make better choices like everything about you improves not dramatically overnight but one little thing at a time constantly and it's the compounded benefit so if someone ever says to you I'm going sober stick around because that person's about to become awesome yeah I love that so true and I get so passionate about this because I feel like now and and we'll talk about tapped in um which is what you've created out of your sobriety there's there are so many amazing resources that are accessible for people in this sort of era of this sobriety movement I feel like it's catching on there's people on TikTok there's people on Instagram there's podcasts like this there's resource there's conversation seven and a half years ago when I had my last drink there was hardly anything it was like Alcoholics Anonymous of which I sort of read the manifesto and I was like yeah okay I don't mm, I'm not sure if I feel powerless I don't know or it was choose your own adventure and that's what I decided to do I was like I'll do an experiment I'll take a month off see how it feels and then you know and then my story unfolds from that moment but it does come down to having this last drink 
And that's why I love these moments because it's the start of something amazing. And so out of your sobriety, can we talk about Tapped In? Sure. Um, I mean, it's definitely been a, a learning curve. I started with a really small website, just, you know, blog. And what I wanted to do was create something that, because I mean, I'm only three years, not only three years, I'm three years down the track. But even three years ago, it was still relatively hard to find information and resources that I related to. And I tried AA and I was like, no, nah, this is this isn't for me. And I hadn't even heard of any grace at that point in time. <laughs> so I was a bit lost. And so I put I started to put together all the resources that I used because um, I would go to these groups that were um, like a weekly meetup after the rehab. And I'd say, oh, have you seen this? Have you tried this? And people are like, what, 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 what's that, what's that? So I put it all together and that's how Tapped In kind of came about, was just putting in there books that I'd read, apps that I used, podcasts that I was listening to so that other people could, at the beginning of their journey, go in and just see what, like you say, like a pick and mix type thing. Um, and then I was training as a coach, um, which is now what I do um for my work which is coaching people gray area drinkers who are looking to um change their relationship with alcohol you're helping people discover their sober selves which is their best self and that's that's a beautiful gift that you can give to people so if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're like what's a gray area drinker i know exactly what you mean when you say that but can you articulate it Yes, um, it is basically the space between rock bottom and every now and again controlled drinking. As you said earlier, you know, this rock bottom stereotype that we have of, you know, rolling in the gutter with a bottle of vodka in a brown paper bag. Most people don't relate to that. And a lot of people can't just have one or two. You know, the majority of us really struggle when we we sit in this grey area. If you're asking yourself, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, am I a grey area drinker? The question then is alcohol affecting my life in a negative way. To simplify it, not that it's simple because it's our relationship with alcohol is so deep and complex and layered, but to simplify it down to one question that anyone can ask themselves and it's a simple yes or no. And this is the sober curiosity bit okay, so alcohol is affecting my life negatively in these areas. How can I do something about that? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think it is also giving yourself the opportunity to really know who you are and what you're about and what you can offer the world. You know, when, when we're drinking, we're very self-absorbed, we're very insular, and we don't see what's right in front of us. You, can, you have no clarity. I mean, I'm talking about excessive drinking, not someone that can just have one glass a week. But the, the reality is, you know, every, as you say, everybody's so different. I'm working with a lady at the moment who drinks twice a week, but when she drinks, she, she can't stop. That's a grey area drinker. She's not drinking every day. And, um, you know, the question is, is it too much for you, not anybody else? And there's, you know, there is so much opportunity to grow as a human being when you remove this substance from your life. So much opportunity. It's like a whole new adventure. Fast becoming my 
my catchphrase is <laughs> it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Totally. And you know what? We can do hard things because we are built for it because we're humans and we are incredible. And, and there's this substance that we let anyone buy that can ruin people's lives. And it just bothers me. And this is why I'm doing this podcast. It bothers me that there's so many people not living their best life, not living up to their potential, not experiencing joy, not experiencing grief. What makes us human is our emotions. And when we we drink it all down and we suppress it all away and we black out and we don't remember, we stop having that human experience. And so I want this sober living movement, not as a, oh, well, I hit rock bottom and I had no other option. I want people to step into it to be like, I'm going to proactively take the bull by the horns and find out the best version of me and get to know him or her or they and love the shit out of them and do well here mm. in this one life that goes so fast. You know what I think when you when you were just talking then I was thinking I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak that kind of passionately about being a drinker. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe you know briefly excited about having a few drinks but when you hear people that are, have conquered their their challenge with alcohol, it's a, it's like a rebirth. I think about the person I was when I was drinking and I don't even understand who she was. Yeah, totally. I just love you and I think that you're amazing. <laughs> well, thank you, Mez. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so lovely. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.